everyone, I'm Reverend Carla and welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is very special. I'm so honored that Reverend Arda Itez returns for a very special Spirituality Matters. If you remember, Reverend Arda is the Director of Programming and Partnerships for Numa Soul Center for Spiritual Transformation. And as always, my friend, Reverend Arda, I'm so glad that you're here. So happy to be here as always. Now, beloveds, as I mentioned, this is a special edition of Spirituality Matters because we are also joined today by Reverend Dr. Jose Roman. And Reverend Arda, I'll turn it over to you to do the honor of introducing Dr. Roman. Ah, it would be my pleasure. Um, Reverend Dr. Roman, I say this, I, I often say this to you, that you've led such an extraordinary life, a life of great service, but currently you are the Vice President of Research Administration of a major university. Uh, you've done work on a global scale your entire life, uh, working around issues LGBTQIA+, rights, you know, HIV AIDS, vaccine research, international emergency relief and development. You've built infrastructure in places like Africa. Uh, you're on the board for the boards, I should say, for numerous organizations. You're the co-chair for the LGBTQ advisory board of the Democratic National Committee. And you were a Franciscan monk for two years, um, as well as, as one of our deans in seminary. That's uh, right. So yeah, so welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. And um, I can't wait to talk to you a little bit more. Well, Reverend Arda, it's a pleasure to be here with you and Reverend Carla, and a pleasure to be with all your viewers and listeners. Uh, this is a magnificent community, and it's a real honor to be back. And that's right, uh, Dr. Jose, this will be uploaded, the video portion of this will be uploaded to the YouTube channel, so be looking for that at Spirituality Matters as well. So friends, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this interview. Dr. Jose presented the Hidden Homosexual Workshop last week, and I can personally attest to this workshop being a very moving experience where I came away with very some, so many moments of clarity. But Dr. Jose, Jose, I'd like to begin by asking you to share what was your objective when you created the Hidden Homosexual Workshop? I think the objective was to begin to explore two things. Um, number one, to explore our sexuality almost from an historic perspective. Um, it is really clear that we're living at a time where there are two models of human sexuality that are, um, that are in conflict, quite frankly, in the modern world. One is a traditional model of, of human sexuality that suggests that everybody's uh, heterosexual or somehow sick that everybody is born male or female, period. And what you're born, what you present at your birth is what you are the rest of your life and dictates your identity. Um, and that uh, sex is all about um, having a monogamous uh, relationship with a person with whom you have sex for the purposes of procreation. That's the traditional model. And, um, and that model is in conflict with a contemporary model of human sexuality that fundamentally suggests that human sexuality is 
much more rich and complex and involves um, gender and gender expression and gender identity and sexual orientation and culture and our physicality and our emotional life. And there's this whole plethora of factors that make up who we are as sexual beings. And so therefore our sexuality is in many ways a deep expression of our spirituality, which is to say of our humanity. And when you understand that, um, and you understand that richness, that complexity, that fluidity um, in sexual orientation, there may be close to a dozen different forms of sexual orientation expressions. Um, when we understand that, when we, when we truly, truly, truly realize that, not only intellectually, but almost at an emotional level, that can be profoundly liberating, not merely for the queer person, but for all people, for all people. Because the reality is that if you are cisgender, if you do express um, and identify with the gender that you were, you were uh, born into physically, um, if you are in a monogamous relationship, you are still a human being and therefore have a rich and complex sexuality that expresses itself within the context of that marriage and within the context of that cisgender heterosexual life. Um, and so understanding that new model is profoundly liberating. The second reason I did this, this workshop was that when we understand that conflict, when we understand that there is a profound conflict between a rather traditional, archaic understanding of sexuality and a contemporary, scientifically-based understanding, we then begin to understand um, that there are forces um, afoot in the world that can be profoundly hurtful to the human person. Um, that if, if we sincerely believe that all people must be heterosexual or they're sick, then that leads to things like homophobia and transphobia. Um, if we believe, for example, that men should be dominant over women, then that leads to misogyny and all forms of, of violence against women and everything we experience as the feminine. So that the traditional model, as it is beginning to wane, as its power diminishes, as its control over our society begins to decline, begins to hold on by fundamentally expressing ways of power uh, and control in our society that amount to nothing more than violence. And so we need to understand that as well so that we can respond individually and collectively, both compassionately but with wisdom. Um, because quite frankly, a lot of persons are hurting as a result of that struggle and the violence it is leading to in the modern world. I love what you said about the awareness intellectually and emotionally, because I think what this workshop uh, was for me was I've been coming from this place of emotion, but the, what you presented was like the intellectual affirmation of what I, I needed to hear to affirm the, the advocacy work um, that uh, Reverend Arda and I do with Numa Soul. So I know our listeners will be curious about the name that you chose for the hidden homosexual. And even though it's hidden in the pockets of what you just said, could you just share a little bit why that name resonated with you? 
It's really interesting. I am going to now say something I never said uh, at the actual workshop, which is that if I could do it all over again, I most probably would have named it differently uh, because I felt like the name did not necessarily do justice to the content, but it did do justice to what arose in me when I was, when I was putting it together. And so maybe I was a little bit... Um, very self-referential when I, when, I, when I named it. Because I think where the name comes from is twofold. The first is that in many ways, the traditional model of sexuality asks that people like myself who are gay remain hidden. Mm-hmm. It asks us to, be, to, to literally be invisible and to be voiceless, to be silent we're expected to be invisible and silent. And so long as we are invisible and silent, we are acceptable. When we become visible and voice-filled, we are unacceptable. And so the traditional model requires us, demands that we, and many, 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 many other persons remain invisible and voiceless. The hidden homosexual is literally the expectation of the traditional model of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the second reason I named it that was that, like many gay persons, like many queer people, I bought into that when I was young. And so I did remain hidden and voiceless. Um, I remember when I was 21 years old and finally came out to my mom. My mom looked at me and literally said, I've always known. And yet, I never, ever spoke to this woman whom I adored and adored me, who who, I can't remember a time she did not treat me with respect and love and compassion. And yet, even with her, this intimate, intimate relationship of pure love, unconditional love, I remained hidden and voiceless. And so it was really, um, that's really what... what, um, what inspired that, that choice. It was the first time that I was speaking um, in such broad and, and clear terms about sexuality. And what, what, what arose from me was, uh, if you will, the memory of what this, this, this culture um, requires of us. Um, and it is not the culture and it is not the requirement of the contemporary model of sexuality, which really seeks for each individual person, no matter what their background, no matter how they define themselves, to find their wholeness and their freedom and their completeness and their dignity. I know that um, Reverend Arda and I, I, we have had these conversations before where we've talked to people who are trying to work through their homophobia or their racism, who often will qualify their acceptance or um, affirming of um, people in marginalized groups by saying, I don't hate them, but I don't hate them. I just don't. And I think that goes back to what you were speaking to with as long as they stay hidden. That, that nothing about their lives have to change or makes them uncomfortable. So that was, that was beautifully said. There's, a, there's, a, a, there's been a rediscovery of the, uh, of the great American designer, Holston, 
And there's, there are books out on him and documentaries. And recently there's a, uh, even a, uh, a series on his life. There's a real story that happened to Holston. Holston was a, um, a hat maker, if you will, a, uh, and, and worked for Bergdorf Goodman. He, he, he literally designed the hat that, made, uh, that, that was made famous by Jackie um, uh, Kennedy during the inaugural. Pillbox. Uh, the pillbox hat. That's exactly correct. And there's a real story where Holston was invited by this incredibly wealthy, privileged woman to have lunch with her. And um, and so he came and he went and he was having lunch with her and a group of her friends. The woman's husband walked into the room, saw them, and the woman said, "My dear, would you join us?" And he said, who is this man? He says, this is Holston. This is my designer, the designer I go to at, at Bergdorf Goodman. And he said, I'll join you, but not as long as that fag is sitting with you. And it was really fascinating because what that story was about was Holston being totally, completely, and utterly himself in the company of these women whom he saw as more than his clients, but his friends. And this man basically saying, it's okay for you to buy from him. It's okay for you to be serviced by him. It is not okay for you and I to sit with him as our equal. He is supposed to be invisible. He's supposed to be voiceless. Mm -hmm. This has happened to us no matter who we are. And if we happen to be people of color, if we happen to be women, if we happen to be working class, then that silence and invisibility becomes even more of a demand and more oppressive. And so, yeah, it's, and, and the scars that it has left is, are overwhelming. I know of queer people well into their 60s and 70s that struggle with self-hatred, mm -hmm. uh, forms of internalized internalized homophobia and queerphobia and misogyny um, that they need to work their way through. Mind you, many women also struggle questioning their own value, their own intelligence, their own brilliance, their own capacity to do remarkable things in the world because they've been told for generations that their job was to be pretty, to be good wives and good mothers, and that's all as if that's all they could be in the world, you know? And, and frankly, now there are people like us saying, no, we're whole human beings. We are deserving of dignity and self-respect and self-love. We should have a voice and a presence in the world. We have something to contribute to, to, to humanity and its evolution. And we will not go away. We will not go away. Mm, indeed. I know um, Reverend Arda and I have had some conversations with some of the people that I personally um, did not expect to hear from when you were talking about those in their um, 50s, 60s, and 70s who have this self-deprecating attitude towards themselves or feeling like they do not have the resources, that even some of, of what they're seeing about the celebratory pride um, response, it doesn't feel comfortable to them. And so it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because we are now looking at what is that going to look like for Numa Soul? How can we support them in that? And it's, for me, it's always, um, I guess, humbling 
to see how far the pain really goes, how, how deep the hurt really is and how many generations we're talking about. Uh, Reverend Arda, you and I have been fierce advocates of human rights, and I know how excited you were to partner with Dr. Jose and offer this workshop. And I know you've had conversations with many of our followers about their struggles to live with their authenticity. Um, if you could share your thoughts about the importance of this type of workshop and how this validates our need to be fully aware of who we are. That question is directed at Dr. Roman or myself? For you, I wanted to bring your voice into this because you were um, such a strong ally in some of the work that you have done independent before you and I partnered together to bring Numasol to fruition. And I think that's imp an important conversation and also a, very much a um, Dr. Rose, uh, Dr. Rose, listen to me. Now I'm getting too. Dr. Dr. Hey, I like that. <laughs> Dr. It's, it's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock somewhere. I love that. I'm glad we can all laugh about that. Uh, Dr. Jose mentioned, especially what he was just talking about with the boomers that are struggling with their identity. And I know the work that you've done. Um, if you wanted to share a little bit about your passion and why this workshop was so important for us to bring this to Numa Soul. Um, you know, again, so much of my dedication from the LGBTQ plus for the community comes from the things that I've seen firsthand, you know, fully understanding the plight of the community and having really been, like I said, been, I've said in the past, being surrounded by the LGBTQ plus community since I was a teenager. And most people have no idea that what is so important about what we are doing, I believe, is really, it's about shedding light, shedding light on these situations, these circumstances, these experiences that, you know, many people don't understand. The cis hetero community has really truly no idea what the LGBTQIA plus community deals with on a daily basis. And of course, within that community, there is a hierarchy just as there is in every community. But, you know, I will tell you that the, even the cis homosexual white male doesn't fully understand what the black trans woman endures on a daily basis. And I think it's so important for us to not only shed light on, but provide platforms for members of the community to be able to speak their truth. And part of the reason why I think it's so important that we do it is because number one, from a religious perspective, you're talking about a community that is so abused, you know, marginal, not even marginalized, vilified. Uh, it, it's so important from a religious or spiritual perspective for us to stand up and speak out for them, provide them the platform that they may not have because we are going to reach an entirely different group of people than they themselves might reach. And I fully intend to bring on different voices you know, as well, Dr. Roman is just the beginning, but we're gonna bring in different members of the community that can speak authentically and teach our followers um, what life is like for them and why it is so important. And again, I always refer back to intersectionality, why it is so important to understand why the plight of the LGBTQIA plus community is interconnected to the plight of every other marginalized community on the planet in order for us to heal fully as, um, you know, as a human family, 
we have to be able to recognize the injustices in all communities. And I think, you know, we're doing our, our little part as much as we can within Numasol. Uh, well said. I think it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Jose said earlier about this acceptance and the struggle. We, we see that. And so tagging on a little bit about what you said and what Reverend Arda just uh, brought to light. One of the things that I am incredibly passionate about speaking out against is this concept of the welcoming church, which oftentimes is not affirming and it really does end up being passive aggressive. I'm sorry, um, a passive conversion therapy, because what they're doing is inviting the, the, the human into the congregation, but on a limited basis. And there is a lot of pushback on that to the point where we've had our, our TikTok plat plat platform banned this week from posting because we are seen as controversial. And there's part of me that, that sees that as an honor, that we know we're working towards the good of the whole to, to bring uh, a voice to the, to the marginalized. And of course, to break through that, you're going to always hit resistance. And you know you're probably on the right path, but I think it is an important conversation, and I really appreciate um, what Reverend Arda is doing to bring those voices to this to this platform. Dr. Jose, you shared your internal struggle struggles living in authenticity, and I noticed that when you described yourself during the workshop, you expanded a beyond your sexual or gender authenticity to include your collective experience of ancestral heritage your place of birth and where you were raised. And I sense that that was intentional because I'd, I'd like to ask you to share with us how important it is to embrace all of who we are because it impacts how we show up in our lives, how it defines the filter through which we see ourselves and others. So could you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think it's really interesting because many of us, we deal with ourselves almost in compartments. We think of ourselves as our gender and only our gender at one point. Or we think of our sexual orientation and only our sexual orientation. Uh, Arda used the word intersectionality and intersectionality is really at its deepest level is an understanding that the human person is a function of so many different elements. Um, I am my, my sexual orientation. I am also my gender expression. I am my gender identity. I am my culture. I was born to a proud Puerto Rican woman. I was raised in New York City. I was raised with, as an American. I have, I have a religious history, a spiritual biography that is profoundly important to me. I, ha I am a brother. I am a husband to a man that I adore. I am a friend, I am all of these pieces of me, all of them come together to form who I am. And what is even more equally important, at least for me, is to hold all these lightly, to hold them all lightly, because I adore them. I adore who I am. I'm proud of who I am. But I also realize that I am made even more myself and more complete by interacting with others who are very different from me. Exactly as Arda said, by listening to voices that I might never have heard otherwise, except through a program like yours, or because I went to a party and actually sat and listened to someone who I never would have met otherwise. 
Every encounter like that expands me, deepens me, makes me grow. Moreover, everything that I am is constantly changing and evolving and maturing in ways that were really unexpected. I do not experience myself as a Puerto Rican today the way I did when I was 12. I don't. I experience myself differently because I am a different person. And so there's this richness that comes with being all these things because all these things continue to grow and evolve and mature and change and shift in ways that are just magnificent. Each of us should be to ourselves and to each other this infinite world that we adore and explore and respect. And so I bring my whole person to everything that I do. <clears throat> and I also hope and pray that in every encounter, I see the whole person that stands before me, not just a category, not just one thing over another, but the whole human person that stands in front of me, you know? And, um, and that is magnificent, you know? That is absolutely magnificent. Even when the encounter is challenging and difficult and even painful, and even painful, um, I still experience the whole of another human being as much as I allow myself to, as, as much as I can, um, because I know I will end up a better person for it. Mm. Mm, beautifully said. Hold them lightly. Hold them yeah. lightly. That's that, that resonates with me. Thank, thank you for that. And I must say, you, you two are on the East Coast and um, you, you have a friendship that I so admire, but I have to also say I'm very envious of because someday I, I look forward to being able to sit down with a glass of wine and, and have some of those conversations that Reverend Arda has shared with me. Uh, but I want to invite you two to, to do that just now. If there's something about just a thought that you have or anything that you would like to share, Reverend Arda, and, and invite uh, Dr. Jose into that conversation, please do so now. Yeah, you know, Jose, you and I have had so many philosophical and spiritual conversations. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. We're not talking about politics. We're talking about spirituality. And, um, but there is something that I want, I want to discuss that we haven't really delved into, or uh, we've probably skimmed around it. Uh, as I think we might have said during The Hidden Homosexual, your... Um, thesis, uh, your dissertation at NYTS at New York Theological Seminary was based on interspirituality, religion as an interspiritual model. And I, we work so much at Numa Soul around people who are deconstructing from religion, from toxic theology. But from your perspective, now, but yet some of them are deconstructing. And of course, you know, you go into that place where you hate all things that are related to the religion of your um, ancestry, right? But you're still yearning for something and, and some people just don't wanna let go altogether. They don't necessarily wanna become atheists. So they're kind of in limbo. And then there are some people that do want to keep some elements of their you know, traditional spirituality, but just don't like what, they, what they're seeing. My question to you is this idea of reconstructive theology, what could that look like? You begin to under, I think, understand um, what that would look like when you begin to really explore what you so beautifully articulated. When you talked about these theologies that become really destructive of the human soul. What's interesting is that at one point, many of these theologies were the opposite. 
the very theology that today in 2021 is destructive or can be destructive of the human soul um, in 10 BC might have actually been a evolution um, that, that respected more people. Theology becomes destructive when revelation is said to stop. Theology becomes destructive when we silence God's voice, when we convince ourselves that God has nothing more to say, when we convince ourselves that all that needed to be said has already been said and can be found in this literature or that literature. When we begin to understand that spirit is always speaking to us and always inviting us to a constant growth and evolution in our individual life and in our collective life, that we never stop growing as a species, that we never stop growing as human beings, that we never stop growing as a person, then we need to, that's when we begin to, be, to become open to the possibility of this understanding that what, what we were introduced as its children and may have even worked for us as a child can't when you say introduced when you say introduced to as children you're referring to a literal fundamental fundamentalist type ideology is that correct At times yeah you know many children when when you speak of of god many children understand god in very 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 anthropomorphic terms many adults understand god in anthropomorphic because terms that's the problem it's a problem because even their churches keep teaching that yes it, it, there's no growing, there's no evolving, there's no maturing. And this is where I think, I think, it, believe it or not, many people who today may hate religion because they were raised in that kind of confining religious place may find as they can allow themselves to continue to explore and grow, may look someday back and go, you know, there was some value in that. There was some. I can now see the value in that. And I can also see its destructiveness. We have to be open to continuously growing um, uh, as people and theologically. And when we're open to that, then that reconstructive theology begins to take place. We begin to now explore what, what exactly is happening inside the human person when they have a legitimate encounter that is spiritual, you know, a legitimate religious encounter. I believe with all my heart that Moses, that Jesus, that Buddha, that Muhammad, in all their stories, you experience a legitimate religious spiritual encounter with something powerful. Do you believe that that can happen so, and again, currently I'm reading uh, The First Muslim, an excellent book about Muhammad. And it's written, of course, from the Western perspective. I've, I've actually talked to you about this. And she talks about his experience. His experience had to have happened in an altered state, correct? So when you're talking about a spiritual experience, a religious experience, you're talking about something that a person will experience in an altered state. Not necessarily. So That's a then. wonderful question. Elaborate on that then. Are, there are people who, who have, have, who have it in altered states. And a lot of the beautiful mythic stories that come to us from the great wisdom traditions, many of them experience, you, you see people experiencing altered states. 
But I don't think you need necessarily need to have an altered state to have a deep spiritual experience. People may be having that right at this moment by listening to us and by connecting through our, our words will inspire them to connect to parts of themselves that they may find almost impossible to speak to. Parts of themselves that are, that are crying out for love and for compassion and for expression and for freedom and for dignity and for wholeness. That is a, a divine spiritual encounter. And it's an encounter from within. And so to me, that That's is important. a spiritual act. That's important. That's what you said is just really, really important and speaks to the larger issue when you're talking about a fundamentalist ideology. Spirituality is a very personal thing. We talk about this all the time, especially in Numa Soul. And I often use your words because I've, these words first came from you and I now parrot them. Spirituality is about your inner life. Absolutely. Speak to that a little bit, if you can. Absolutely. When, when people hear the word spirituality, they think of things like God and angels, demons, goddesses, spirits. At times they think of ghosts, of the afterlife. All of that is beautiful, beautiful mythic language that fundamentally is talking to us about our own inner reality. Spirituality is about those parts of consciousness that seek connection, connection with ourselves, with each other, with the universe, that seek authenticity, that seek purpose and meaning, that seek transcendence, which is to say, to be part of something infinitely bigger than ourselves. That's what spirituality is about. That's what all the language of religion seeks to speak to these yearnings that I believe with all my heart are what the Hindus refer to as the Atman, the yearnings of God within us, mm -hmm. the yearnings of God within us. And that's what spirituality is about. It's about our inner life, the dignity of that altar of our soul that we must nurture and we must respect. Everything else it's just footnotes. Mm. That, that is beautiful. I, I would want to add one thing there. When you were talking about our, our heritage, because during my, both of you just, just described it beautifully, because during the first phase of that deconstruction, when I knew I was also being called to something as I'm deconstructing. So I constantly had this tension and conflict going in me, but the anger was so real that I thought I was being called into ministry to basically shut down every church in Indiana and expose it for the fraud that they, that it was, but it wasn't until I got through the training, my, my collegiate career and then seminary that I really saw that it was about reconciling the parts that made me who I am and my own lineage of Southern Baptist ministers who I truly have peace that I am finishing their work. Now their elements will, and someone else will continue after me in our lineage, but that is part of it, that I have great peace, that there's no conflict with what's happening with them after they've gone on they, they know what I'm, what I'm doing. I never saw that at the beginning. I fully rejected it. 
But now I feel so grateful for a, a Southern Baptist grandmother who took me to adult Bible study at six years old and to revivals to where I was just, just absolutely enthralled with those, the ministers. So when I get on a soapbox, it's like, Hey, you trained me. I know how to it's do it. Genetic. <laughs> it's genetic. That's right. So I'm sorry, Reverend Artie, you're going to say something else. No, I said it's genetic. Oh, okay. It's in your, it's in your DNA uh, to do that. Yeah. Um, I do have, um, Dr. Roman, I do have one question for you that I think is kind of important, especially to our listeners. Um, what advice do you have for LGBTQIA plus kids that are suffering religious persecution in their families right now? What mm -hmm. words of wisdom, advice, um, guidance can you offer them? It's, it's, that's a magnificent question and it's such a difficult question because there are instances where some young people may be experiencing something that really fundamentally amounts to direct violence. And the advice I would give such uh, persons is different because if you are experiencing direct violence, you have to find a way beyond that. Um, and um, that's essential. Um, you have to find a way of preserving a part of you and protecting it so that you, you're able to leave that experience as whole as possible. To many um, young people, the experience is one of an affront to self. Um, and, and the first and most important piece there for young people is to realize that no matter what they're hearing, no matter how condemning it may be, no matter how violent um, the words can be, that they are whole as they are, mm. that they are complete as they are, that they are beautiful and powerful exactly as they are. And that the irony of all of this is that God made them exactly that way, that what their surroundings may not appreciate in the name of God is what God created to glorify God. And so they have to continue to cultivate, find places where they can cultivate that understanding and that feeling um, by, um, uh, for example, participating in programming with Numis Soul, for example, by reading the right books, by listening to the right music, by building as best as possible the right friendships. Um, a, a young person has to be able to become, if you will, father and mother, parent to their own soul. And that's the way they need to start seeing themselves. You know, there is a reason why many people look at queer people and they view us as incredibly creative beings, for example. They're, they're, uh, I think I told you that there's a public intellectual who literally says that it was queer people who created the very concept of beauty, right? And you see all these magnificent queer people that are writers and artists and intellectuals. I work in major, I've worked in three major universities and, and we are, the number of queer people in universities as professors and, and students is just magnificent. The reason for that is that when you are queer at a very young age, you learn that you're different and you begin to cultivate, whether you realize it or not, you begin to excavate a deep inner life. You know, it's almost as if your soul grows by leaps and bounds as a result of that queerness. And so what I'm literally saying to young people is 
love that, cultivate it, do it consciously, realize that you've got this rich inner landscape and continue to feed that landscape until that day when you can frankly create an outer landscape that is as beautiful and affirming as you are to yourself. Mm, that's beautiful. I, I think that's a perfect place to close this discussion. I would want to add one thing when uh, Reverend Arda, you mentioned the intersectionality. I think just looking at the three of us in our varied backgrounds as someone who, who came, who rose up from that evangelical um, history, that heritage that I fought the whole way and I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And yet to, to get out of it, I had to dive in completely and be that person in obedience. I thought the more obedient I was and submissive I was to that theology that this, whatever it was, that was the turmoil inside me would finally break away. Instead, I was always trying to make that God too small to fit into that theological box and God just could not fit into it. Reverend Dr. Jose Ramon, it has been an honor to spend this time with you. I just, I hope you'll come back sometime and present other workshops and be a, a guest at Spirituality Matters. It would be my pleasure. I, I, I belong to you and to Arda. Oh. Uh, you, you just tell me when to come and I will be here at your service and at the service of all your listeners and viewers. Thank you. And Reverend Arda, as always, thank you for what you're doing and your contributions to Numa Soul. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and we will see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!